and welcome to Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria Skobe-Pile, your host, and this is episode 31. Before we go to the main part of the show, I want to remind you of two things. First, if you like this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcast. Second, join the community for women in customer success. If you want to connect with other amazing women, share resources, best practices, coffee chats, mentoring, or career development, check out the link in the show notes and join the community. Today, I'm talking to Rupal Nishar, customer success lead at Conga, real estate entrepreneur, churn crusher, and a mentor. But as you will realize, so much more than that. I was introduced to Rupal through a mutual friend last year and immediately was completely blown away by her personality on our first conversation. I was really impressed and also it was interesting how quickly we just clicked one of those serendipitous moments because soon after our conversation I just started seeing her in my network on a leadership course and pretty soon I knew that I would like to invite her to podcast so she can share her wisdom with you, dear listeners. So, what is the wisdom she's sharing with us today? Trends of artificial intelligence in customer success. What data should organizations track? And how AI can leverage H2H approach in business. So, let's get to the main part of the show. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Rupal Nishar, customer success leader at Conga. Hi, Rupal. Thanks so much for coming to the show. I've been waiting for this for a long time, so welcome. It's great to have you here. It is fantastic to be here, Maria. Absolutely exciting. Rupal, for the listeners who don't know you, please introduce yourself and tell us your story. Tell us what would you like audience to know about you? Sure, absolutely. I'm part of the customer success team at Conga. I've been here for a year and a half now. I went to NYU. I studied computer science. I'm a mom to a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. I've been married for a little over 12 years now. I was born in India and I moved to New York in my mid-teens when my father passed away. My background is not in traditional customer success at all. Actually, I didn't start off with CS. When I graduated, I was working for a consulting company. I was really lucky to be uh, part of a team that had visibility into multiple projects that gave me insight into different industries play different roles, everything from a developer to a BA. I had amazing views into what I wanted to do versus not. Right after that, I was working for the largest hedge fund in the world, Bridgewater Associates. I still call Bridgewater my home. It's where I got the opportunity to work with some of the best minds across the globe. I really learned to be reflective and be exactly who I was, learning to be critical, relentless, operating with radical transparency, and truly learn to evolve while being humble and coachable always. I took a few years off after working there and I set up our family business, our family's real estate business, which is now a humming machine. I actually have very little to do with it. So I am a real estate entrepreneur for those that don't know. 
I realized a few years after doing that that I absolutely wanted to be part of something bigger and I wanted to get back in the workforce and I was introduced to the CS leadership at a company called Aptio a SaaS company and I haven't looked back since I've done a wide range of things within customer success from helping establish standards scaling CS globally journey maps NPS cabs risk management and over the years i've been really lucky to work with some of the best teams and leaders along the way rupal you just told me a wonderful story of so many different things that you have done in life and one thing is that you mentioned pretty briefly actually that your father passed away in your teens and you moved from india to us that's really huge it's one of those life defining moments very traumatic experience so how was it being in a situation that at such a young age your whole life is turned upside down and you're starting everything from the beginning somewhere else i lived a very sheltered life before that i think i had anything and everything that i needed at my fingertips i was very blessed but i was also very grounded my my mom always ensured that we stayed grounded obviously it was unexpected it was something that uprooted every single thing that we understood to be normal but it also taught us some of the hardest lessons along the way that we wouldn't have learned it has taught me and my siblings to be resilient to really go out and you know be adventurous and optimistic in everything that we do and absolutely work hard for everything that we believe in so we've actually put ourselves through school we've worked multiple jobs work gotten scholarships along the way it was no longer that sheltered life that we once knew we really had to work for what we believed in so i think that teaches you something that you know that a normal upbringing probably wouldn't have so obviously it was very traumatic growing up but i am very grateful for having the opportunity to have lived that life and have learned those lessons very early on so there is very little that will shake me or will make me feel like i cannot accomplish once i set my heart to it because of the lessons that i've learned very early in life Rupal that's really interesting. Your father died when you were a teenager. I lost my father a bit later on in very early adulthood when I was 21. One of those situations, a second car crash changes your whole life. I think you mentioned about how those situations teach you to be resilient, right? It's almost like you already experienced the worst thing ever that could happen to someone and you came out of that very resilient so there is nothing else anymore that can shake you that much it's almost as of course there is nothing else that can be that bad which means you can survive everything in life and yes you can be resilient is that the impression that i'm getting from your story as well Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, there have been other things that have happened which probably is not meant for this platform, but I will keep it at that. But this was pretty pretty significant in life that has shaped who I am, that has shaped my thinking and how I live and I think today, right? If for some reason tomorrow God forbid if I were to lose everything that I've worked hard for, I don't think that I'd be devastated. I'd be absolutely okay to figure out a way to make things work and get back on that track of success if i needed to so i don't put a lot of stock into failure or setbacks or difficult things everything happens for a reason so i'm certainly more uh, resilient for those reasons and you are reflective critical and relentless 
what you said <laughs> at the beginning, which I really like. Tell me about reflective. How do you practice it? What is your tool to reflect on what is happening in your life, in your career, knowing yourself? So I've always been very open and honest with most things about how I think and how I feel. But where I actually learned the framework to be reflective was when I was working at Bridgewater Associates, Ray Dalio is the founder, and he has written this brilliant book about principles. And we really operated by the principles. There were frameworks in place to be reflective. There were frameworks to think about how you evolve. It was absolutely something that was ingrained in our daily daily life, right? We were required to be open and honest, no matter what we had to stand up, it was okay to be heard. And you always also had to, on the flip side, listen, you always had to be critical, inviting conflict was actually relished. You didn't uh, run away from it, you challenged what a uh, hundred great ideas to arrive at the best idea possible. And you had to be relentless. None of those things were negotiable. And it was less about the titles, more about the discipline of it, the more about the principles and the values behind it. So I think it was very eye-opening that no matter where you sat in the organization, you had to take a step back and really think about what the data points about you and the things you've done, what story, what is the narrative that they tell you. So I was absolutely lucky to have been part of that organization. So what would you say, what is your narrative? Who is Rupal? <laughs> I am, just like everybody else, a very complex person. That I, I don't think there is any, any doubt about that. Uh, I do think I have a very scientific side of thinking about things, a uh, very logical aspect of it. But my mind also works in the very creative and artsy sides of things. And the, both of them are on full force all the time. So it isn't like I'm more artistic than logical or vice versa, equally uh, full on from a scientific perspective and a arts perspective. So, and that's how I design most of my life and the solutions that I create and everything that I do is with an engineering mindset to have an impact in a, a scientifically creative way. Let's just say that. That's really interesting. You engineer things in your life. I wonder when it comes to your career, you gave us already little snippets of what was your career path and how you ended up in customer success. But what part of it did you engineer? If you're looking back to it, was it on particular places in your career or particular time when you realized, oh, now I want to be part of something big. Now this is the next great thing. How do I get into it? What was that engineering thought process? I'm really interested now. <laughs> Taking a step back, I think more often than not, I, as emotional as I am, as relationship-based I am, I think I make a lot of decisions based on logic. I make a lot of uh, movement, whether it's in my career or whether it is in my personal life on logic, right? Like taking a step back from a very thriving professional career and making sure that I was dedicating time for my family when I needed to, or being absolutely methodical about some of the investments we were making. It requires me to be absolutely logical about it, where there is very little margin of error in those scenarios. So uh, I'm very intentional about the decisions that I make and why I make them the way I do. When it comes to my personal growth as well, I think I'm more intentional about where I spend my time how much time do I spend on certain activities, whether it is meditation, reading, or purely from a learning perspective? What are some of those things that are on my growth trajectory that I need to focus on? So 
Uh, I'm very methodical in that respect. And very intentional. <laughs> That's really something that I value. And I always feel privileged every time when we are talking because I know that it is not easy to give time just for conversations when people are generally so busy. So thank you for every time <laughs> that we are having conversation. I would like to talk about that side of your very logical and analytical brain, as you said, as it just sounds that it's completely a great fit with what you are very passionate about in customer success, the part of artificial intelligence and machine learning projects that you are working on. I know it may sound complicated, but I'm sure it is not for the listeners because you will nicely explain. So what is it that you're actually doing on those projects that you're passionate about? So my favorite thing about being in customer success is that customer success is a moving frontier. What we believe to be true today will continue to change and transform. Customer behaviors will change. Products will evolve. And we in customer success are always in the front lines of that changing vista and the moving frontier. So to be able to design solutions for that is probably one of the most exciting things to me. And I think in general, within customer success, I'm passionate about a lot of things. However, I think where the industry and the human civilization in general is headed is towards artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the intersection of that with human-to-human -human customer success, I think, is where the magic will happen. I don't necessarily believe that customer success will fully be automated or that AI will replace CS, but I do believe that some of the things will be automated and augmented by technology. What this will do is it'll help CS teams focus on what really matters, which is enriching and building on the customer relationships so that they can adopt, renew, expand, advocate, And there are a, a, a ton of companies that have caught on to or are embarking on this AI journey, right? Like think of this uh, for a minute, like the amount of information that's being generated totally outpaces what we as humans can actually absorb, retain, interpret, and let alone making complex decisions out of that. So, so let's take for an example, if you think of a graph with an X and Y axes, uh, one where you map on one axis, the number of customers and the other over a period of time, if you're mapping a period of time. So if we have a lot of data, we can plot against that data on the chart and see a pattern. However, if we get the machine to learn the patterns, it can make predictions on what it has learned. And these are just two dimensions. And as humans, we can probably intelligently get to three or four dimensions, but machine learning can learn so many different permutations and combinations in hundreds or thousands that it makes for a lot of more predictive analysis and so many more dimensions that matter to us in customer success. And when I think about AI and uh, ML, it can supercharge the quality of decision-making for the humans and make it more personalized and meaningful at every inter interaction. So, If we look at the trends within customer success in general, there are two things that stand out. We talk more about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and on the parallel stream, there's this whole movement of bringing back to H2H, right? And what is H2H? Human to human. The world is moving fast um, away from B2B and B2C and moving towards H2H. This is like the next revolution we will see. There are business models that are shifting to H2H globally. 
There's actually an amazing book by Brian Kramer. He talks about human to human to the marketers and the marketing strategists. But so many of those H to H principles apply to us within customer success discipline as well. So Kramer actually famously says that businesses do not have emotions, products do not have emotions, but humans do. So if we take a step back and watch these two streams merging, one on one hand we have like the wealth of deep learning from AI and and on the other is actually H to H and the intersection of that is really where things are going to be disruptive in the industry. I'm glad you brought this concept up. Now, it seems that those concepts are almost on completely opposite end of the spectrum. So from one hand there is data and predictions, data intelligence, artificial intelligence. And then from another side is that human-to-human approach, the most natural, the most powerful and most intimate type of relationship. So how do you bring it together? Let's try to unpack that now. You mentioned there are loads of implications of that data intelligence in customer success. So tell me more about the use cases. What would you use it for in customer success? I would think, obviously, if we are thinking of, you know, the main goal of customer success would be retaining the customers, that would probably be, you know, the number one reason of using that data. Surely there are other goals that we could accomplish with it. So what is the actual objective or results that you would like to achieve with data intelligence? What are those data points that you need to have to predict the churn or retention or really any other outcomes that you are hoping to get? I think you hit some of the keywords here. I've seen a few different ways that AI has been adopted in CS and within SaaS organizations. And there are some companies that are on the front lines of adopting some of this stuff. The two of the key use cases, let me talk about the two that I see over and over again, which we're moving to at an accelerated pace is churn prediction, as you were talking about. So by and large, acquiring new customers obviously is considerably more expensive than retaining the existing ones. AI-powered retention and churn prediction is generally in the spotlight these days. I think COVID has accelerated that, if anything, to ensure that we are on that track. The second use case is around predicting customer lifetime value, the CLV that we hear so much about. I believe that the customer landscape is changing so rapidly. And now our customers are expecting what I think larger than life experiences at every point in the journey. It's only a matter of time before every organization gets on the AI bandwagon to address the complexity of some of those relationships. Imagine your ELT is looking at dashboards that predict what the future CLV is or the probability of churn or even the average time between purchases. That is a powerful view. Not only is that powerful, but it's also empowering. What I'm seeing lately is organizations are taking some of this information, working with their CS and account teams to take action on this data. And then there is a narrative that any leadership will like to take to the boardroom and have those right conversations with the board on that front. Yeah, and this is really wonderful. Such a powerful data points for taking to the boardrooms, for predicting the numbers, predicting the, the revenues. But also, I think it's such a powerful data to take action for customer success professionals, because that's the data that can help you have meaningful conversations with the clients. You really nailed it, Rupal, in your use cases. That's exactly what we need. We do want to predict churn, of course. 
And we also want to understand customer lifetime value. Yes, but I also think we want to understand what makes customers successful. Why do your successful clients stick with you, with your product? And also when your clients are asking you how we are doing, or especially how we are doing in comparison with other organizations, with your other clients, even if you might not have some benchmark, in artificial intelligence data modeling, you can still have some data points that can tell you what makes that client successful. And you can really have the conversation when you are advising your customers on potential best practices that they should adopt that we have seen other clients adopting that could make them successful. So I can just think that there are so many opportunities for having great data for allowing for that meaningful conversations, H2H approach, so that customer success managers can be really better in understanding the customers. So what would be some other elements that you would look in your data modeling? You mentioned time from last purchase. I'm sure you're also seeing some connections with support tickets, you know, raising way too many or way too little. None of it is great. What would be some other elements of that data point that you want to be entering into data model to get meaningful results out of it? Yeah, so there's a ton of data points, but what you nailed on, the quality of decisions will actually be in the space of a very simple framework that I have in mind is what I think about is the acronym DAD, the data, algorithms, and decisions. And each one of them warrants a book in and of itself. So I won't get into it in very detail. I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. So if we were to start with data, the foundation of AI, do we have good quality of data? It's usage of products, customer stats, revenue numbers, retention numbers, NPS, you name them support tickets, engagements, all of those things together, right? And depending on the nature of the organization, obviously, there is a lot of other data points that can be used. This is just a small subset of that. There has to be integrity in the data. You can have the most complex and slick algorithms, but you can only get so far if the data is biased and flawed, right? Or if there's like gaps in it. Like any other data uh, connection and analysis, the outcome and the result will purely, purely, purely depend on the data. Like I can't say this enough. I've seen folks trying to put together very sophisticated things in place that give them the wrong output or give them a very skewed output because the data is flawed. It also matters how you get the data and you trust the data and are you actually getting data from the right sources, for example, NPS, etc. Is it the right persona? And so there's multiple factors that go into that. So if I had to think about it, for example, if you had to bake a chocolate cake, you probably need the chocolate, which is why you need the right data. So that's part one. The second letter in that acronym was A for algorithms. This is where the data is transformed into insights. Data itself can be transformed, manipulated, etc, etc. The algorithms provide the instructions for any AI system. Think of it as any set of rules that need to be performed. Trying to keep with the baking analogy, the algorithm is a recipe to follow to bake that cake. A common question I get asked is, what algorithms should be used? Well, there isn't a specific algorithm that is attached to AI. The key is to keep it non-biased as much as possible. But if you're going to tweak the algorithm to fit your end results, it's going to be a very biased outcome. So you have to make sure that the algorithm is non-biased. And finally, the D, right? what decisions do you want to make as an organization? This is where 
the question comes in what superpowers do you want to have what are those key things if you could harvest and make your data work for you what outcomes can your business drive through and what improved decisions can you make can i look into that crystal ball i'm kidding it's not a crystal ball i'm totally joking about that but there is no such thing so you certainly have to make sure that you're cognizant of what business decisions the organization wants to drive with ai so from that journey from data to edge to edge or through human to human you are really disseminating data through different algorithms and that decision making process is actually what matters at the end of the day right to reach right right, right. human to human yeah yeah i feel so so empowered now i guess i got complete crash course on <laughs> ai and data algorithms in customer success is there anything else that we would need to keep in mind when talking about ai I think those are the key points. I certainly feel we are at that very beginning of early stages of CS and AI and defining that. So you will see more of this. I think it's my prediction at least in the next year or two we'll see a lot more conversations happening around AI and customer success and how organizations are actually mining their data and arriving at some of these very deep learnings about the decisions that need to be made. Oh, wonderful. I'm really excited about it. In conversations with my clients who are not related to customer success industry at all. It is just fascinating to hear about the ways that they started to think about their data and their analytics in literally every single department in the organization. Now, of course, everyone are thinking about what are they doing with the data. I've I've heard them saying they are hiring data analysts in literally every department so they really can understand how they can empower their own employees in decision making because of the data and I think it's really wonderful and especially in customer success I'm really looking forward to new trends and new developments in that area because I think the future seems really bright for our industry with AI Oh, I really like this crash course, Rupal. <laughs> Thank you for this. You know, I would also like to find out something else from you. And that would be when you are thinking about your career. Do you think that you have experienced particular challenges or some interesting situations just by the fact that you are a woman? Absolutely. I think like most women in women in technology, I think I've been part of teams where I'm the only woman. I still get on calls time and again where there are a dozen men and I'm the only woman on the call uh, but I think that is changing slowly right and I don't think it's totally fair to just label the men in the room and I think this is where my opinion may differ is that with others is that I don't always think it's the men in the room that we should hold responsible for the state of affairs and at the pace at which we need to move the needle I certainly find time and again women have double standards as well I have seen other women who have trip me or other women because they don't like the idea of having other powerful women in the room and i've totally witnessed the worst kind of bullying by women and that'll tear a person down because they see them as a threat but on the flip side i have been very very blessed and very lucky because i think there are more good women and some of my closest professional friends are men that are in my circle of trust and absolutely empower me to do my very best and they are the biggest champions of ensuring that there is diversity at the table in in the room when when there isn't right in every organization that they run so i certainly feel that it's changing slowly and do women have more challenges now i feel yes this continues to be something that we as a species will have to reflect and act on in covid times i think women and especially mothers in this which you're probably witness to as well 
in this pandemic time have it a little bit more rough. If you look at just the U.S. labor numbers from December and January, women accounted for almost 80% of the adults that stopped working or stopped looking for work. Just in U.S. alone, more than 2.3 million women had to leave the labor workforce since this pandemic has started. And I think it is even more harder for African-American women, Latina women, which is why I try to do uh, everything that I can potentially do to help as many people as I can along the way. So yes, there are challenges, but I do feel, you know, we are an evolving species and we will we'll certainly get better at this. So <laughs> I know what it means to not have, when I say not have, like not have anything. So I've had to work really hard, as I was mentioning earlier, and I've always, I mean, you know, at the end of the year, my husband knows this, I'll be like, let's take out the checkbook, let's, you know, we're going to do something good with what we have. And You're helping along the way. That's something that I have definitely noticed. You had a whole initiative of giveaways for customer success. Tell us more about it. This year was slightly different, especially given the pandemic. A bunch of folks had reached out to me throughout the year where they were asking about trying to find a job, needed help with some sort of coaching or some networking. Can you connect me with A, B, and C? And or how do I upskill myself? So as part of that, I was thinking hard, how do I help put together two of my passions? One is customer success and the other is my passion for giving back to the community and intersecting both those things. And that's how I had a conversation with Andrew and team at Success. Success Hacker, and they were absolutely delighted and wanted to partner together. And uh, they were absolutely amazing with all the logistics. And that's how that came about. I think we started off with 10 people is what I was going to subscribe to. And we ended up getting to 31, which was amazing. And then this year, I'm hoping that in some shape or form, which I am keeping track, <laughs> is we'll get to maybe 100 people, right, that we'll be able to impact in some positive way in one, one way or another. Oh, that's so wonderful, Rupal. I was really impressed when I have seen it initially. So for the listeners, if you are not aware of it, Rupal partnered with Success Hacker, a training provider and certification provider organization, to give away 10 certifications to other CS professionals who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it or attend it. And then from 10 originally, it went to 31. So Rupal... <laughs> We are actually talking about 31 people that benefited from just one idea that you had and you executed it. So you are basically changing lives and careers already of 31 people around the world, I guess. Yeah, across eight countries. Who knew? I am absolutely amazed with that. Well, thank you for doing that and for doing any other future initiatives. Please keep us posted because we would like our listeners to know about it and to take part in it if possible. Throughout your career, it seems that you're absolutely passionate about you know, giving back, helping others. You mentioned coaching and mentoring. Uh, Rupal, I wonder what are your thoughts on mentoring? Have you had any great mentors in your career that you could reflect on? Are you a mentor? So I think I'm both. I am a mentor and a mentee, like all of us. I have a circle of mentors and cheerleaders. And I also mentor folks along the way with different aspects of life. Sometimes it's financial stuff. Sometimes it can be real estate. It can be career stuff. So all different flavors of that. Personally, I believe that we all need a core network, you know, our sponsors and cheerleaders who will be our voice when we aren't in the room. This doesn't just apply when we're at work. It also translates into the social aspect of work as well. 
look, life unfolds with ups and downs. So we all need our village that will stand by us and help us succeed. I don't mean a list of hundreds of people that we need to network with, but actual meaningful relationships that will um, stand the test of time. A handful or dozen people that you can count on no matter what. And they have your back and will be brutally honest with you, will give you the right feedback and will help be that guiding light, right? You just don't want people that are going to tell you nice things. That's not really going to be helpful for you. And the sooner we start cultivating those relationships, the better. And it goes both ways, right? In return, we have to invest in others to bring the next generation along, right? So tap into your radar, see who inspires you. And if people have reached out to you for guidance, make time for it. I know I do. I know some of the busiest people that make time to do this. And I know we probably don't like to send out like cold emails. And that's not what I'm advocating here at all. But if you want to think about it from a framework perspective, this is what I tell some of the folks that that I speak with, right? There's a book called How Remarkable Women Lead. It's by Joanna Barsh. One of the things she talks about is network mapping exercise. Making a list of people in your network. Think about the influence that they have in your career. Go beyond your current team and your current organization. Think about the industries, the previous organizations, social groups, people that inspired you, et cetera, et cetera. And once you have that list of people, you place them on this networking map, quote unquote, networking map. This is nothing but a simple graph with an X and Y axis. On the horizontal axis, it scales from the lowest degree of comfort to the highest degree of comfort that you have with them. And on the vertical axis, it maps the influence, low to high influence that they have. And you basically end up with a quadrant. And uh, on the top right quadrant is your sweet spot. The folks with the highest degree of comfort that you have and have the highest influence. If you have a ton of people in that spot, you're golden and uh, you don't have to stop there. You also take a look at the top left quadrant where you have influential people, but you have a low degree of comfort with, right? What is going to take to move some of them folks from that quadrant to the right quadrant, which is your sweet spot. And that is how you network and design your network design and draw your own conclusions in your own unique path. And again, I'm not certainly advocating for being calculated. What I'm talking about is making it authentic and real and intentional and having a framework for what you're doing. You certainly won't be very comfortable if you are speaking with somebody that you're not absolutely don't have a high degree of comfort with. Right. And or have a high influence with and that will potentially may not have that professional push for you that you absolutely need. So be intentional, make it authentic. You absolutely need to have something authentic. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. So so I think that's one of the frameworks that I would absolutely recommend. Thanks for recommending the book. I recognize the title and I went to my bookshelf just to get it. Oh. I'm holding it in my hand. <laughs> uh, I got a book. I haven't read it yet. So now this is a really great motivation for me to read it. Yeah, Joanna Barsh. I remember her very early work at McKinsey about the women leadership. She was, I think, one of the pioneers in the field. So perfect. Thanks, Rupal, for sharing that framework with us. It's wonderful how you mentioned you. everyone needs you know, some network. Everyone needs someone to cheer on them, right? And certainly in customer success, we have seen that recently, especially with the pandemic, how there was a rise in different networks. So 
Are there any networks that uh, really helped you in your customer success career and your journey that you think, you know, everyone should join just because it is so valuable? Again, I'm a big believer of following people for who they are and for being their authentic self. I personally have certain groups that I recommend and people that I think that folks should follow. You know, I'll, I'll give an example. I think, you know, the GGR group the, is very, very popular. I feel like there is a lot of quality conversations that happen. And from a people perspective, the folks that I believe that you can follow, you know, Christy Fortarusso, she's amazing. Every conversation I've had with her, she knocks some wisdom into me. And I reach the CEO of CSM Practice. I think she does an event every second Tuesday of the month. Nils, founder of Glide Consulting, he's phenomenal, amazing from a leadership training perspective. He's just awesome to be working with him. Nick Mehta, obviously the godfather of customer success. I would follow him. I do feel like there's a lot of new voices that are also coming up. And for me, what has also been awesome over the last three weeks, has it been three weeks that we've set up or you, the Slack for women in customer success has been so phenomenal to be part of that. I feel like I can have really authentic conversations. We have like sidebars going with people on what they're doing and how things are going. So for all of those women out there that are not part of this Women in Customer Success Slack channel, I'm hoping Maria will post the link as part of this conversation and you should certainly, certainly be part of that. So yeah, so those are some of the things that I would recommend. And Rupal, for all of the folks out there that are aspiring to be the next customer success leaders, what would you say is your message to them? I think the number one thing is to aim high. There is no reason to have a low bar, absolutely none, absolutely none at all. So I think that's one thing that's in your hands, aim as high as possible. The second thing I'll say is to be authentic, be yourself, be your unique self and be unapologetic about it is what I say. You don't have to be somebody else's voice. Be your own and the folks that you will draw to yourself will be the people that do respect that voice, right? So I think be authentic, work smart and work hard, right? Because you don't want to be working hard and not working smart and vice versa. So I think with, with working smart comes working hard. Yeah. And be coachable. I think that is probably one of the biggest things that I recommend being no matter where you are in your journey, whether you are a customer success leader or you're just starting out. I feel like we get inspired by things that we normally would not be inspired if we had a very closed mind. I think I'm a lifelong learner. I absolutely recommend having that mindset, be coachable no matter where the coaching is coming from. I think uh, it will serve you a lot better. And finally, I say be kind. You never know who you're going to cross paths with somebody in life again. So cultivate those relationships. Ronnie Gaughan wrote about this last week and that completely resonated with me, which a serendipity, you end up meeting people that you had worked with or you'd met with or was a customer in the past. And, you know, here you are again and those intersections happen. So be kind to people along the way because you never really know when those paths will cross again. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for it. I, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely, Maria. This was awesome. This was uh, absolutely exciting. And I'm very, very honored to have been part of this program here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, I'd like to hear from you. So follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram and get in touch. Subscribe now so you don't miss out of the following episodes. Have a great day and talk to you soon.